Welcome to the Catalyst Life Coaching Podcast with John Kim and Noelle Cordeaux. If you're inspired to begin your own life coaching practice or just want to learn a little bit more about what it's all about, visit journey.co. That's J-R-N-I dot C-O for more information. Your adventure awaits. Hey guys, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about breakups and if there's a correlation between breakups and change of season. Is that correct, Noelle? That's correct. That's really interesting. I've never heard that before. It is interesting. And the reason that we're talking about it today is because right now I am surrounded by breakups. Mm. Completely surrounded. And I was wondering if there was anything to the phenomenon that correlates with the change of the seasons. And it turns out that there is. Wow. How so? So it's actually called uncuffing season. And during the spring and summer months, people who were in relationships during the winter tend to get antsy if Mm. the relationship is not a good one. And there's this psychological impulse to be free by summer. Wow. So describe antsy. You mean, is it a, is it um kind of a natural reevaluation of the, of the relationship or are we getting annoyed by, by little things? I don't know exactly how it would work in, you know, individual or specific relationships, but summer has a connotation of being out, being mm-hmm. out in the warm sunshine. People get a little bit jumpy and energized in the summertime. People are wearing less clothing. It is a sexually fraught season and people don't want to be tied down if they're not happy with their current partner. So they get it done before the summer hits. Oh, I mean, I could, I could definitely see that. And also, especially if you're a partner and you are not on the same page. Um, so, for example, I was in a relationship once many years ago where uh, she never liked to go out. Um, she never liked nature, hiking, anything physical. Um, and I'm all about that. So I could see how if summer came, I would want to go out and play. And if she didn't, then there would be that disconnect. Absolutely. And we know that people tend to get into relationships in the middle of the winter in order to stave off boredom and depression. Yeah, there's something about um, the winter and representing coziness and, you know, staying home under blankets and grilled cheese. And like, that's what I (laughs) that's what I see and feel when I think about the winter. And of course, like Christmas. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I could see that the, the winter can be very uh, more more lonely than the summer if you are not in a relationship. There's a decrease in sunlight. And so your body's producing more melatonin, mm-hmm. uh, a hormone that responds to darkness. And so you feel tired, you want to stay inside more. And then as the sun comes out more, your brain produces less melatonin and more serotonin, which is a regulator which makes you kind of feel up and happier and you may not feel so much in need to be around someone else to provide security and happiness. Yes. Uh, there's a, you know, there's that, that thing called sad. It's uh, an actual disorder for, um, people who, who literally get depressed when they don't get the sunlight in the winter. Yes. So seasonal affect disorder, seasonal affect disorder. Yes. And so given all of this as friends, as coaches, as partners, as family members, what can we do to support people who are going through a breakup? Because 
so much brain chemistry is involved in this scenario. Just as we noted that your serotonin levels rise when the sunshine comes out, um, that that plays a big role. You know, serotonin has a huge impact on the way that we experience our relationships. And then when you go through a breakup, your brain chemicals get scrambled. And when you start a relationship, your brain chemicals get scrambled. And so really, you know, as humans, when we're dealing with romantic love, we're just big buckets of scrambled eggs walking around. Yeah. Um, speaking of scrambled egg, uh, Noel was one for Halloween. Or maybe, <laughs> or maybe it wasn't scrambled. Maybe it was over easy. But anyway, you were, you were an egg for Halloween. Um, I was an egg. So you know what's interesting about this is as a coach and someone who uh, you know does daily sessions mostly about relationships, um, a lot of coaching is, is about finding ways into conversations. And this is just a really interesting way in because we don't think about seasons when we talk about uh, connection, relationships, breakups, and all of that. So – um, I think just being aware of how seasons impact us is a great start. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I have had this conversation before where we say that there are two kinds of breakups. There's the impulsive breakup mm -hmm. where there is no planning and no forethought and it's just I'm I'm out. And then there is the breakup where you stay in the relationship until you are so far gone Right, that, right. that it has been over for months and you're just getting around to letting the other person know. Yes, that's really interesting. You see, there are two kinds. Um, and I've, I've, I've coached people on both. I, I find that the, that the majority, um, most people are in things that, that uh, they feel they should have left a long time ago. Why do you think people stay for so long? Well, I think this is also gender related too. Um, I find that uh, most women stay in things longer than they than they uh, should be or should have. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because of st uh, stereotypes or shoulds they place on themselves, or you know. And then I think a lot of men, and and of course these are generalizations, guys. But a lot of men are impulsive. They jump out of things and then they, they're like, oh, shit, what did I do? I need to go back, you know. Oh, so there's the relapse there. That's interesting. And, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, has to do with heteronormativity mm -hmm. and with the emphasis that's put on quote unquote, having a relationship as something of value, that it's a box to be checked off in life. And yeah. you have more value as a human if you're in a relationship. Right, right. That's a really good point. I think that, uh, you know, starting with the Norman Rockwell painting and the picket fence and, and you know, you're less than if you don't have a partner, uh, especially as you get older, right? Like the, the tightening of the vice and society putting pressure on you uh, definitely contributes. And I think for women, we we as women are told that uh, we're like a, a jar of milk. You know, we're going to yes. expire yes. past 40. Uh, and so 10 times harder for women. I mean, I would say 100 times harder for women in our world. And that's something that I analyze and evaluate a lot as a feminist coach. When I'm working with women, you know, is this a feeling, a fact? Is this a reality of the colonized mind? Is this a good relationship, a bad relationship? Are you staying in it because it feeds you uh, in ways that are societally prescribed? You know, what's the deal? Yes. On top of that, the uh, pressure, um, if you want a child, that, that whole thing. 
right? If you want a, 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 a child, a biological a, a child, um, the, the pressures of body and then, man, and then body image and all of that. It, it's, it's, um, it's really difficult, I think, uh, uh, for women in our world to, to not be affected by, you know, that ticking clock. You know, I quite agree. And my own lived experience was to be very, very, very impacted by all of that when I was younger, because I saw the world as black and white, that that was the way that was what needed to happen. And for a long time, I felt like it was a comment on me if I wasn't coupled with a male partner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now as a woman approaching 40 who does not want children, who is non-monogamous, it's all about boundaries and mm -hmm. the freedom that comes with not find, putting emphasis on being partnered or not and, and knowing that I don't want to have children. It's kind of like I'm really good at breakups. Yeah, there's a there's a empowerment empowerment there. I'm assuming that now you um you you have you negotiate less. I negotiate more. I negotiate uh my boundaries more. Mm. And I'm quicker to set a boundary. I'm quicker to call out something that's not working. I'm quicker to say, "Hey, this isn't working for my life. You're so great." Maybe, you know, maybe we can have coffee one day as friends. Like, <laughs> right. So, so what I mean is you negotiate yourself less. Yes. Right. I negotiate myself less. How, how, how do, um, how do women, um, cause I've got a couple clients and they're in their mid to late forties and they're alone. Um, how, how do they, you know, take a machete to all the, the pressures of society and that you should be with someone and you're getting older and all like, like that's. Is is it a, is it a grieving? How do you how do you give them empowerment again? It's a really tough nut to crack, and the approach is different with everybody. What I have been doing recently uh, as a feminist coach is leading with psychoeducation on objectification theory and on the colonized mind, and mm. asking my clients, you know, you you feel this way, let's take a look at the historical roots of systemic oppression and where this even came from in the first place. And once you see it clearly in its historical context, I want you to decide for yourself, client, if you want to be subject to this shit or not. Mm. So being aware of where it comes from, like describing the landscape and then empowering the client by asking her if she wants to to allow that to have power over her kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. I'll give you an example. So under objectification theory, one of the things that drives me the most fucking nuts in the world is that a flow state, a state of flow where you are accurately challenged, where you are living to your full potential, where your brain is engaged, where your neurons are firing is absolutely necessary and vital for not only life force, but for brain development, for personal development, for relational development, for professional development, for resources, income, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. Men do it with ease. And women 
there's a phenomenon where we are trained from a very young age that we don't get to fully inhabit our bodies with full integration because our bodies are actually separate from our being yeah. and are for the purpose of the pleasure of an observer. Yes, we um, we have tied uh, your your bodies to your self worth like tightly. Exactly. Yeah. And and what that does from a psychological perspective is from a young age, probably around age ten or eleven for girls, interrupts flow states because you're constantly mm. scanning sure. your physical environment for threats. You're constantly scanning for, is someone looking at my body? You're constantly scanning for, you know, what is my worth in that scenario? Am I safe? Um, do I have to run, you know, do I, and, and, it, and, and it kills productivity and it kills your capacity and it's, it's, horrible that when you live this way yeah you know um, my big thing is this idea of of self-betterment being a reunion and you connecting to self and so what you're talking about um, is something that prevents you from connecting to yourself so there's a disconnection between you and your body Exactly. There's a disconnect between you and your body. And so then when, when you're in relationship with others, you know, when you're dealing with this, whether you want to give your body to somebody else and in terms of a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship, and then you're contending with the outside world, you know, it's, it's really about saying to a woman, you know, how radical do you want to be in your stance of claiming self-worth? Let's look at all of this and and you tell me how brave you want to be. If you want to sit there and be subject to what really is systemic oppression. Okay, cool. Um, but just know that that's what it is. It's not you. It's your brain. It's the way you were socialized. We're not that far off from chattel. Women are still being trafficked and sold. You know, women are not safe in America or a lot less safe other places. You know, how, how much fight do you have in you girl and wash your face? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think for women, it's it's obviously body. And then for men, it's like the whole achievement thing. So tying their worth to performance or achievement or, or how much money you make. Or how attractive your partner is. Oh, right. Sure. Sure. I can I can definitely see that, too. And that goes two ways. I know a lot of women who are willing to put up with a lot of shit in a relationship because their man's attractive. Attractive or successful or what society values as valuable. Yep. And this, and then for, you know, for, you know, different LGBT, different relationship styles, same deal. Yeah, absolutely. It all plays in. So, you know, the other piece of this is, is there's, so there's the, the social construction element. There's this, there's the weather, there's, um, also your brain chemicals. So romantic love is actually an addictive drug. Oh yeah, for sure. hundred percent. And it activates your limbic reward system using dopamine as the carrot. Uh, serotonin levels decrease. And um, the parts of your brain that light up with romantic love withdrawal are the same parts of your brain that light up with cocaine and opioid addiction. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think that when we're single, we actually have the richest soil to grow 
uh, because when we're in relationships, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're not ourselves so much because we've been hijacked by love. <laughs> You've been hijacked by love. Well, I mean, it feels amazing, you know. But. Yeah, and you know, think about this in context. So, okay, it's the springtime season. So we know that our serotonin levels are rising. So, you know, we're getting scrambled there. If you're in romantic love, you're addicted to it. Um, that only lasts, though, for about 18, 12 to 18 months. Romantic love lasts for 12 yeah. to 18 months, and then it yeah. starts to decline. And then when you're single... Uh, whether you're male or female, you have higher levels of testosterone. Yeah. Yep. Um, what, so what do you do? What do you do to balance whether you are single or, you know, um, in a relationship? I don't think that there's anything you can do. And especially as a coach, it's a frustrating scenario. I always say to folks, you know, the most uncoachable people are those who are in love mm. because they're unreasonable, they're spinning, yeah. they're, you know, they're glorifying their partner. Um, but psychoeducation is so very helpful in onset of relationships and onset of breakups because you're, it, it be, especially the interplay of dopamine, serotonin, and testosterone changes you so much and you really have to understand yourself in context. I've been saying to my people who are going through breakups quite a bit, it's not you, it's your brain chemicals. Mm. Sure. Well, on top of that, when you're going through a breakup, you're also playing stuff back, right? You're opening that black box, what happened. And a lot of times we play back things and uh, they're not accurate. So we're, we're, we're feeling something and we're going by that feeling, uh, you know, for example, playing back the highlight reel instead of the documentary, uh, that happens a lot. It's true. And there are, are very specific stages to a breakup. It's protest. Uh, after protest is despair and resignation and depression. Yeah. And when you're replaying the highlight reel, there are also variables. So in humans, the part of your brain that grows your capacity for pair bonding is heavily influenced by verbal capacity. So if you're in a relationship where there's heavy texting all day, every day throughout the day, where there's deep conversations, where you're really talking uh, frequently, a lot high emotional intelligence, the demise of that relationship, the experience of withdrawal that the, that person will go through is really, really heavy mm. and very, very similar to drug withdrawal. Yeah, absolutely. And so when someone feels like they're actually dying, they're not lying. Yeah, and, and that's why it's so hard to kind of uh, rebuild yourself after a breakup, you know, depending on the, the intensity of that relationship. Or, and it's, it's even really hard for folks to uh, feel seen, heard, and authentically understood by their friends and family because people are like, why can't you just get yeah. it together? Yeah, it's, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is, is just to say to get over someone. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like it's that easy and it's, it's not. It's not. And so there, the specific things that will help um, is if you're really suffering from depression, SSRIs, if you go talk to a doctor, um, dopamine, getting more dopamine in your system, exercise, sunlight, good nutrition, low sugar, smiling stimulates dopamine. And especially for women, talk therapy, having to talk about things oh, over yeah. and over and over sure. again. 
Yeah. And then an understanding that if you were in a really deep relationship, it's going to take about 18 months to heal up. Mm. Yeah. I think the, the, the other thing is that people, um, they time it. They think they should be somewhere, you know, at three months or they should be quote unquote over someone after a few months. And if you do that, uh, it's not fair to you because every relationship is different. And, you know, the way that we heal from each relationship is going to be very different. Very different. Yeah. And taking care of your body and understanding that you really are, you know, rolling around with a broken heart. <laughs> yeah. So guys, if you're going through a breakup or if someone around you is going through a breakup um, because it may be breakup season, take all of this into consideration. And uh, what else? What final notes do you have? Ah, final notes that I would have is if this breakup is a divorce, mm. uh, there's a whole nother set of crazy to be aware of. Um, and that has to do with happiness set point. It, there are three things that can lower your happiness set point, uh, war, violent crime and divorce. Yeah. So, I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Don't date immediately after. Yes, for sure. And, um, I always say out of your house, out of your head, I know it sounds really simple, but, um, sometimes simple will pull you out of the trenches. If you just focus on, you know, the little, the, the little things to do. Yep. All right, guys, be well. Take care. Thank you.